Hello and welcome to the next installment of Borders Blatherings, the podcast where we shine the light on the curious, shadowy and often very magical history of the Scottish borderlands. I'm joined as ever by Mary Craig and today we're going to talk about the Gypsy Kings and Queens of Scotland. We are indeed, yes. Uh, and how are you today, Mary? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm fine, but I'm a little bit tense about using the word gypsy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why would that be? Uh, well, can I start by talking about, <laughs> excuse me, biscuits? Okay. okay. Schnitzel. <laughs> I don't know where we're coming up with that. All right, biscuits. Biscuits, schnitzel and perhaps Brexit. Right. Um, And maybe then you can provide some context for (laughs) me. When I was a wee boy, I I did have have a partiality to biscuits called Gypsy Creams. Uh I don't know if you remember them. Yeah. And over the years, I've noticed these being rebranded, renamed by many manufacturers as Mm -hmm. Romany Mm -hmm. Creams. Yeah. Um, Also, you know, my partner Miriam is from Dusseldorf in Germany. And when we lived there, I would often go into the Altstadt and uh, I would order Zegoiner Schnitzel, which I loved. Mm -hmm. Uh, This being literally translated as Gypsy (laughs) Schnitzel. Today, all of the menus have been changed to say Paprika Schnitzel. Mm, Uh, With no offense to Magyars or Hungarians, I believe. Um, So... One, one wonders about the, the, the use of the term gypsy. From a linguistic point of view, I would see this as an exonym, which is something, a term used by people outside a social group to talk about people within a social group. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I get Brexit into this? Well, <laughs> if one looks in a dictionary, you will find in the passive form, to be gypped by someone, conned, Mm -hmm. cheated, misled. So maybe you could argue it's also a xenonym because there's a touch of xenophobia behind Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Now, as a language trainer, one of the things I say to students, if you want to learn new exciting vocabulary, put it in a context sentence. (laughs) So here's my context sentence, and this is why I mention Brexit. For example, both during... And after the Brexit referendum in this country, many people in England were gypped by the intellectually bereft messaging, yet strangely compelling messaging of the Leave campaign. E.g. Take back control. Brexit means Brexit, whatever that ever meant. Mm. And oven-ready deal. So, to be gypped. Is there any reference to Egypt here? Well, ah, now, oh, you've opened a can of worms here. (laughs) The reason I will be talking about the Gypsy Kings and Queens is because for a period, the Gypsy Kings and Queens called themselves Gypsy Kings and Queens. Oh, interesting. Although I am very aware of the fact that it was originally a misnomer and it was very frequently and today is used in a derogatory sense. Uh So we're not meaning any offence to any Roma people that are listening. But in its historical context, some people in Scotland called themselves Gypsy Kings and called themselves Gypsies. Uh-huh. So that's where it's coming from. But it's actually a misnomer about Egypt because now you want to 
find out where gypsies come from, don't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was this being a language. It, it wasn't. It was an endonym, but now it's an exonym. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. okay I'll, I'll bounce you. And if, yes. Trust me. Okay. okay. Right. Okay. That one. We're scoring that one. One yeah. nil to you. Right. Okay. So we start with the Roma people, and there are three types of Romani people, if you like. There are the Romani, and they originally come from India and northern Pakistan. Mm-hmm. There are the Lom people from Turkey and Armenia. Yes. And I know you spent time there. Yeah. And then there are the Domari people who tended to come from North Africa, including Egypt. And these migrated, they started to migrate in about the 5th or 6th centuries, and they migrated for about 500 years. And I know that's a long span of time, mm. but there was a lot of turmoil at that time. Now, most of the Roma people that are in Europe today, um, linguistically, there you go, and uh, anthropologists and all these sorts of people in DNA analysis tends to suggest that they're of the peoples who came from India and North Africa, uh, India and northern Pakistan. But because there was a group that came from Egypt, they became known as Egyptians and thus Egyptians or gypsies. So that's where it gets a little bit muddled yeah. along the way. Yeah. And by the time they've got into Europe, sometimes they are called Roma, sometimes they're called Romanese, um, and sometimes they're called gypsies. And of course, there is a confusion with people from Romania who are Romanians. Yes. And there are <laughs> Romanese who live in Romania just to add to the, the joy of confusion. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of chaos going on there. So that's where we get the sort of gypsy term from originally. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, the prejudice is there. I mean, even when they first arrive in Europe, most people aren't liking them. And they arrive, I mean, the first note we get of them is from a, oh, wait, look at the name right, Simon Simeonis. I love that name. Oh, wow. And it's an Irish monk who's doing his bit, he's going on his pilgrimage to mm-hmm. Jerusalem, as you're supposed to do. And he pitches up in Crete around about the beginning of the 14th century. And he's chronicling his great journey because you're supposed to do this pilgrimage at least once in your life. And of course, he's chronicling it. And he notes the people called Romas or Romanes mm-hmm. in Crete. Now, they might have been here before then, but that's the first sort of note we get of them, if you like, sort of, you know, appearing in Europe. And they, they spread across Europe and they're moving. And they're nomadic people like lots of people are. Yeah. Um, but the problem with being nomadic is that folk don't like nomadic people. Nomadic people unsettle people. They unsettle settled communities. If you are the elite, you don't like nomadic people because if you can't pin them down, you can't count them. And if you can't count them, you can't tax them. And that's why nomadic people are viewed a little... You've still got countries in North Africa where they're like Bedouin people. Because they keep moving about. Yeah, they move around. Stop that. Yeah, Stop yeah. that. And then the settled communities get a little bit ticked off because they are not being taxed. So, you know, if I'm living in my little peasant's cottage somewhere and the Lord of the Manor comes along once a year and taxes me for how many chickens I've got, I get really ticked off if the gypsies pitch up every so often and, you know, uh, do some work around the fair and then go away again and they don't get taxed. Yeah. So the fact that they, they're nomadic does unsettle people. So they're a threat to uh, people who want to maintain the, the conservative with a small c, I should add, uh, status quo in a sense. Yeah. yeah. Earlier today, I was talking to someone about politicians 
Why do people go into politics? They don't go into politics, I don't think, for the money. They go in to maintain the status quo <laughs> and avoid movement and avoid change. Yeah. Very yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. And of course, what's interesting about the Roma people is that they don't have an origin myth around a territory. Uh-huh. And yeah. that's, that's, that's pretty unusual because, I mean, I'm a Scot. I identify as Scottish. I come from the land of Scotland. Mm-hmm. You might be Dutch and you would identify with the land of the Netherlands. Yeah. If you're Roma, what you identify with and your origin myth is about freedom of movement. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a different concept to get your head around if you're from a settled community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's quite, I mean, a, a, a lot of Roma people today are quite settled, but there's still that their origin myth is in freedom, but that can cause resentment for settled communities so mm. it's yeah it's quite a different freedom of movement choice there we or, go we're back or, to your or, or, or being forced yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> when do when do so i think we've laid the linguistic ground and and we'll talk about romany or gypsy interchangeably but i'll, I'll use romany but when do those that call themselves gypsies when do they first arrive in scotland and what's the story behind that so Around about the year 1500, we first noticed that, again, they could have been here earlier, but we're first sort of aware of people. So you've got James IV is on the throne at this point in yep. Scotland. Yep. And we get a curious thing in the exchequer rules. One of the things about the medieval period was they were very, very good about money and they wrote everything down. The minute there was a bill, they wrote it down. Uh-huh. And we've got two notes, um, sort of a week apart, of money being paid for a messenger to take a letter from King James to the King of the Romanies. Uh-huh. And then about a week later, a messenger who's brought another letter back from the King of the Romanies to King James. So this messenger's being paid. So they're definitely in Scotland, and the King of the Romanies is writing to King James. And they're, they're, I mean, we don't know what the, the letters contain, but this is, you know, they've not just pitched up. I'd be like somebody pitching up in, in Britain today and then all of a sudden having an exchange of letters with Boris Johnson. You know, you've got to have a bit of status to be able to do that. Or whether or not Boris Johnson could write back, I don't know, but there you are. <laughs> um, but, you know, you have to have a bit of status if there's going to be this this exchange of letters. So, is sorry to interrupt, but is, is King James the Fourth then, yeah. the, the alchemist king, it, is he accepting the king of the gypsies as a fellow regal person? I'm presuming so. Yeah. I mean, a couple of years later, we actually get a situation where King James is having to write a letter to King Hans of Denmark mm. because the Earl of Little Egypt in Scotland has been arrested in Denmark. A man called Antonius Gawino, I think that's how you pronounce the name, he's gone across to Denmark, got himself in a bit of bother, he's been arrested, mm. chucked in prison in Denmark for something, and he said to the guards, you can't hold me. I'm, I'm the Earl of Little Egypt in Scotland. How dare you? And he somehow gets a message out to King James, who writes to King's hands and says, actually, yeah, that is, that's the one of my Earls of Little Egypt. Could you please let him go? <laughs> so, again, you're at a level where you can write to the king and get yourself out of bother in Denmark. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've definitely got a bit of status there. Um, we don't have an area of Scotland that the, the Roma folk are particularly settled in, but they're certainly in Scottish society at this point. You know, they're certainly seeing lots of different people and, and, and 
mixing with high society. But my my scant sorry, but my my scant knowledge of of borders history suggests to me that there, the dynasty was over long periods of time based here in the Scottish borders. Yes, it was, but it wasn't settled in the borders okay. at that time. It would have been in the Lowlands because yeah. the courts in Edinburgh. Yeah. I mean, by about 1530, you've got Romany dancers at the court in Holyrood, mm. which isn't that unusual. But you've got <laughs> um, the king falls ill at one point and the royal physician is called and can't, can't cure the king. Uh-huh. And the king brings in a Romany herbalist called Baptista. And he's paid. He's paid out the privy purse for curing the king. And we've got at least two, if not three, notes of that in the Exchequer Rolls yeah. again. Okay. So, I mean, that's a huge position of trust to be treating the king. Absolutely. This isn't just, you know, oh, you've got dancers in. Well, you know, so what? I mean, yeah. uh, Rome at that time, they were dancers, they were musicians, they were singers. But if you're actually treating the king, I mean, I don't know what the royal physician thought of all of this. Maybe his nose was out of joint. I've no idea. <laughs> but, you know, Baptista is being brought in. And, of course... I start to wonder what's going on, but James the Fourth was quite a Renaissance prince. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is this is a time where you've got black courtiers in the Scottish court. Now, we're not quite sure what their status was, but there were people from all over the place in that court. There was there was French being spoken as as well as Latin. You've got musicians coming over. You've got thinkers coming over from the continent. You know, this is a this is the sort of milieu of. Of high class Renaissance society. Yeah. He is the and king that, that, that pushes a lot of advances in medicine, isn't he? Yes, he's medicine, he's, he's a patron in the arts, yeah. all of yeah. these sorts of things are, are, are going on, you know. But then by the time you get into his father's court, things are becoming possibly not quite as good, but this is the first time we get met, we get a note of Johnny Farr, Lord and Earl of Little Egypt. And he's noted as being in Lowland Scotland. Uh-huh. So we don't know if it's definitively the borders, but now we've got Lowland Scotland coming in. And Johnny Fat is noted in the King's Privy Seal as to what he is and is not able to do. And what's really interesting about this point is that the King writes a letter under Privy Seal, basically saying that he is more or less King of the Romanes, King of the Gypsies, mm-hmm. and he's given these sorts of titles. But what it actually says is, that he is allowed to execute justice over his people, but that every sheriff in Scotland should give him assistance. Now, that's massive. Wow. So let's imagine you're English, you're in Newcastle, you commit a crime, and you run away and you run in to Scotland. The sheriff in Newcastle comes all the way up to Scotland, can't find you, goes to the sea, the sheriff of Selkirk and says... Help me find that Doug guy. Mm-hmm. He's, I want to arrest him. And the sheriff of Circle will turn around to the sheriff of Newcastle and say, what are you doing in my country? You've got no rights here. Mm-hmm. The writ of English law doesn't run here. Yeah. First of all, I'm not helping you. And secondly, get out of my town, sort of type thing. And yet, if you were a gypsy and you'd committed a crime and you ran, the sheriff of Selkirk has to help the king of the gypsies to have you arrested. This is massive. Basically, yeah, King yeah. James V is allowing the writ of law, the writ of gypsy law, throughout Scotland. Throughout Scotland. That's incredible. Yeah, He's allowing another king to have his own laws, different laws mm. than Scots laws. Mm. And it's not as if if you're, if you're a gypsy and you steal from a gypsy, then the gypsies deal with your law. 
If you're a gypsy and you steal from a non-gypsy, then the king of the gypsies can still come in and defend you in a Scottish court and say, we'll deal with him. Doug is our guy. He's a bad guy. We will punish him. He goes through our courts. He doesn't go through your courts. And for some reason, James V allows this. Because while he's allowing this, down in England, during Henry VIII and Elizabeth I's period, there are a series of laws being enacted against okay. gypsies. Yeah. And it's called the Egyptians Act, and they're not allowed to mm-hmm. settle, and yeah. they're not allowed to move, and you know all of these bad things are happening. Because when the gypsies first arrive, they discover, they get a really mixed sort of welcome in Europe, if you like, and a very mixed welcome in England. Some places in England, they're told, no, we don't let you go away. Absolutely go away. And it might be, like we spoke before about them being settled, because remember at this time, most of, most of the world is, is feudal. Yeah. And most people are unfree peasants. They're not allowed to get off their land. And then these people come up and they just wander about. You know, it might give the peasants ideas. <laughs> so folk don't want you. Yeah. Some places, including the Church of England, try to enslave them, uh, which doesn't work because the Roma society doesn't have a concept of slavery. So they don't understand that a slave's supposed to do what the master says. So they're like, oh, stuff you, and they walk away, yeah. which really annoys people. They go, you're a slave. They're like, go, go, shut up. And they're, they're, not, they're never pinned down or tied up. Exactly. <laughs> they don't understand this yeah. stupid gun. They don't understand why yeah. other people who are slaves don't just walk away. Yeah. They, they don't get it because it isn't a concept for them. Well put. <laughs> but the other thing, which is really quite sad, is that they have forced assimilation in some places. And we know that that never works. Yeah. If you try to force somebody, I mean, we've all heard of the horror stories of the, the children, the, the indigenous children from Canada and Australia yeah. who were forcibly sent to residential schools or fostered. And we know it just causes mm. trauma. Yeah. So all of this is happening. And because all of this is happening, you get increasing numbers of, of Roma coming up and settling in the Scottish borders because yeah. it's just over the border because England is basically pushing them out and pushing them out yeah. and pushing them out. So in Scotland, if I, if I get that, and I think I do, in, in Scotland at that time, we have a kind of what I would call an Ottoman-style approach to l- local law, whereas in England, you have a very different approach to those from outside. Yeah. I'm not going down any political uh, <laughs> roads here. You can do it, if you it, wish. It, 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 it's more like the British Empire, in a more sense. More like the British yeah. Empire, you reckon. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Now, you mentioned... Uh, Far the, the the one dynasty I'm slightly aware of is the Far Blythe dynasty. Indeed, yes. Are, are these the main? Is this the main dynasty? Uh, Maybe. And is Charles <laughs> Far Blythe the father of this dynasty? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> You're not going to tell me then, no. <laughs> the problem is that just as you have the Stuarts and the Douglases uh-huh. both thinking of themselves the senior families in Scotland, and yeah. the Douglases spent their entire time saying that the Stuarts were, <laughs> how can I put this politely, of dubious parentage. <laughs> A bunch of bees, yeah. <laughs> and the Douglases never recognised the Stuarts, and the Stuarts never recognised the Douglases. Indeed. Yeah. You have the Far Blythe dynasty and you also have the Marshall dynasty. Oh, now you've hit me with one. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and they both refuse to recognise the other, uh-huh. which is great fun, yep. which is absolutely yep. great fun. 
Um, but we'll get to them later, I think. But yes, that's that's we, we haven't just got one. Di- and there are actually a few others out there as well. There's a sprinkling of dynasties uh, that that because one of the things about the Roma, uh, the, the Gypsy Kings and Queens, is they didn't have primogeniture. Mm. Now, very few royal families actually have that. Actually have, yeah. The only ones that tend to have it are England and France, and that's because they used to come from the Plantagenets, and it was one family, and they'll fell out with each other. But previously, lots and lots and lots of kings and queens, yes, you might be senior, your dad might have been king, or your mum might have been queen, but if you weren't up for the job, you could get voted out. Mm -hmm. The kings of Germany were voted. The the early kings of Scotland were voted. You know, so, so... there are lots yeah. of these different families where you might or might not get voted in uh, as a king or a queen. Yeah, the, the, those of our listeners who've seen, say, the Hollywood Braveheart will, 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 will have come across the Canwells and the Balliols and all these other yeah, etals sort of, um, yeah, claim, claiming yeah. the throne, for yeah, sure, for yeah, sure. Yeah. But, I mean, when, once, once we're sort of settled at the end of the 16th century... Things are going quite well, and then we have something that you'll find interesting linguistically, is that round about uh, 1570, you know I'm hopeless on dates, I'm a great historian, can't do dates, 1570, (laughs) the Act of Stringency is brought in in Scotland. Mm. And the problem with this is that, here we go again with my favourite joyous excitement, it's the Kirk of Scotland, (laughs) it's the Kirk of Scotland. Right, so... Previously, you have the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church says it's your Christian duty to help people who beg and give them money. Yeah. The Reformation comes along and says, nah, go stand your own two feet. The Church will give money to widows and orphans. Everybody else can get off their backsides and get a job. <coughs> mm-hmm. Now, because the Roma people are nomadic, because they move, because they come and go with affairs, they're not seen as having real jobs. Yeah. Now, some of them had jobs like everybody else. Some of them begged like everybody else. Some of them stole, like Like everybody everybody else. else. The Act of Stringency is brought in to stop people begging and stealing. But it all gets mixed in together. And so you get gypsies and thieves and thieving gypsies put together, and that is where that prejudice comes from. Remember the the um, There's a podcast? song here, <laughs> Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves. Thieves, there you go. <laughs> Remember the podcast we did about the Navi riots, and we yeah, talked about the, the dirty Irish, and that came together, yeah. that prejudice came together because of the, the building of the railways. It's the same thing. The Stringency Act puts the words gypsy and thief together, yep. and it sticks and it sticks for a long time. And now we have the X on them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's it. Great. You know, so you get Great. all that. So the end of the 16th, beginning of the 17th century, as we know, Queen Elizabeth dies, James goes down, and it's a chaotic, it's a chaotic century. We've got famine, we've got plague, we've got war. Mm. The devil's abroad doing witches, and we've done our witches podcast. So now I want you to guess the percentage of witches that were gypsies. Go on. Almost zero. Perfect. Why do you think that is? <laughs> That's a far more difficult question <laughs> to answer. Uh, yep. Um, because maybe, maybe their so-called mystical, magical powers were already seen as inherent in those people. And therefore it would be very difficult to prove <laughs> that the devil had planted them. The reason they don't get accused is because they're not there. They hide. Oh, my God. 
seriously, you can barely find a note of them in the entire 17th oh my century. Word. They're not stupid. They take to the hills and they hide. So if I, if my chickens stop laying and my child becomes ill, it's no use me blaming the gypsies that were here a week ago. Mm. Who can do anything about that? But old Aggie that lives next door to me that I don't like, she can get arrested. So there's a form of redress there. So I'm much more likely to address someone who is there. But it's also the fact that they hide, they literally take to the hills. They take to the border hills and they take to the hills of Dumfries and Galloway. They avoid the towns constantly. And they're constantly on the move. Now in the 16th century, they had started to settle a little bit in the, in the borders. They absolutely take to the roads. They don't settle in villages. They have their own encampments. They absolutely keep their heads down the whole time. That's real freedom of movement then. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them actually go abroad. Some of them go to the low countries. And that's going to be really important later on. Ah, Some of them go to the low countries. Right. Some of them, um, some of the lads actually integrate themselves, especially into the Covenanters. And so, again, that's really interesting because a lot of the Covenanters that fought and got captured, as we know, got sent up to the Covenanters prison up at Greyfriars. Yes. Which, mm. if anybody's ever been there, it's just a big cage in the corner. So you chuck your, your Covenanters in there for about three months, open to the elements, and afterwards they'll confess to anything, sign to anything. <laughs> Some of them don't. And they're the ones that get transported to places like Virginia to be sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. And we know that there are fab lies that are sent over. And that's a little connection that I think we might be able to make later on as well. I think I know where you're going with that. that the Covenanters prison in, in Greyfriars in, in, in Edinburgh, that's a very cold spot because I have personally witnessed two American tourists faint yes. <laughs> while in there yeah. <laughs> when hearing Absolutely. the story. But that's another podcast. Indeed, indeed uh, it is. So American connections we're going to come to later. You mentioned earlier the Marshall dynasty. Mm-hmm. It's quite new to me. Um, what are the essential differences between the Far Blythe dynasty and the Marshall dynasty? Is it one of time or what, did they coexist? They coexisted. They coexisted, yeah. It tended to be one of place. The Far Blythe were definitely borders. Um, the Marshalls were borders and Dumfries and Galloway. Yeah. Um, but they knew of each other and they absolutely hated each other. But to settle the Far Blythe in the borders we have to go across to the low countries. So as I said, some of them went across to the, okay. to the low countries. And the siege of Namur. Oh, I've in, came across that yeah, in history. Yeah, 1695. Yeah. So basically 17th century, as we say, everybody's fighting everybody. And there are Scots over there fighting because the Scots are good at being uh, renegade fighters and they're over there. And there's a chap called Captain David Bennett. Mm-hmm. And he's at the siege, and he's been fighting for years. He's a professional soldier. He's making a lot of money. And then at the siege, he's actually attacked. And it's it's difficult to read exactly what's going on there. But he is almost on the point of death. You know, there's two guys fighting him, and they've basically got him pinned down. Mm. When this lad that he doesn't know appears from nowhere, jumps on the back of one of the guys, basically saves his life. Mm-hmm. And it happens to be a Roma called Young, whose mother is a fab lies. And this mm-hmm. uh, Captain Bennett just is amazed by this. And he says, I tell you what, he said, I've got property in the borders. Ah, right. You guys can stay there. 
and he gives them land and gives them cottages between Yetum and Kirk Yetum in the borders. And that is the start of the Fab Lies being down there. And what they tend to do is they overwinter there and then they spend the rest of the year. Depending on your point of view, they either trade successfully with the borders and Northumberland selling tea and salt and alcohol, or they smuggle. You pay your money and you take your choices. But that is us. We have definitively got our Roma settlement yeah. in the borders. Yeah. yeah. So maybe they go around jipping everybody. Yeah. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> maybe they do. Harry, um, thanks a lot. Entertaining as ever, and I think we've given a lot of good comprehensive coverage to our two-part story. So I look forward to our next Borders Blatherings. Yep. Bye for now. Bye. What care I for my house and my land? What care I for my money, oh? I'd rather have a kiss from the yellow gypsy lips And worry with the raggled tabby gypsy, oh.